Hello, everybody. This is Chris Blair, voice of the national champion Fighting Tigers of LSU. And you're locked in to the Rob, Ben, and Joe Show. Middle Georgia's number one voice of community and collegiate sports. Go Tigers. This is Mike Conti of Atlanta United and the Atlanta Hawks Radio Networks. You're listening to Middle Georgia's number one team for community and collegiate sports from Atlanta to Savannah. It's the Rob, Ben, and Joe Show. Hey, this is Andy Dementor, voice of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And when I want to know what's going on in Middle Georgia sports, there's only one place I go. It's the Rob, Ben, and Joe Show. Your place for community and collegiate sports. Guys, take it away. And we're back on your Rob, Ben, and Joe Show podcast. Man, I'll tell you what, Rob, it's been a minute getting through the high school football season to get back here and talk about some uh, natural sports in our natural environment. <laughs> Absolutely. It is. It has definitely been a little while, but uh, it was a nice little break there through the to give us a break for our high school stuff we're putting so much into, and that was a lot of fun, and so ready to get back on the horse for the for the podcast each week. Absolutely, and of course, I want to say thanks to our sponsors of Bubba's Tire Network One Sports, uh, Georgia Farm Bureau, and all the others we'll be talking about as we get through the show tonight. A uh, special guest on the show tonight. First off, the breaking news from the SEC that you hear uh, tonight. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at RBJ Show, but you probably heard this from Paul Feinbaum and ESPN already, that the SEC Network is uh, going to be partnered with ABC and ESPN no longer on CBS anymore. So the breaking news there tonight. And our friend Dave uh, Buzz Baker uh, was going to join us tonight, but he is uh, self-contained uh, uh, somewhere else talking about SEC stuff, I guess, with the other network folks. So uh, he will be joining us next week. Tonight we have a, a big fan uh, friend of ours on the show, and uh, that is our friend from Texas A&M. And uh, that is Andrew Monaco. He is the voice of the Aggies, and we are so excited. We were talking about it, you know, Robin, this week. We were like, hey, man, if, if SEC football turns out the way we want it to and Texas A&M beats Auburn, we're going to have Andrew on our show coming up Thursday. It's a big deal, dude. And we've got him here with us, Andrew Monaco. Andrew, how you doing, sir? You realize that Jimbo Fisher used that to motivate his team to win in Auburn <laughs> on Saturday. Is that what it was? <laughs> That's what it was. That's the magic of Jimbo Fisher, the RBJ show. That's awesome. That's fantastic. <laughs> Andrew, my friend, thank you so much for joining us. And I know you have had just a wonderful uh, a week of preparation that has uh, now been postponed with Ole Miss coming up. <laughs> but after a big win uh, with you guys over Auburn, let's just uh, step back and talk about that for just a second. Tell me how it was to see those Tigers come in and you guys get a win. Well, I'll tell you what, you almost have to put a little history into this because Jimbo Fisher's first year, uh, it is Auburn that scores the final 21 points two years ago, and the Aggies, who played about three and a half really good quarters of football, learned that that's not enough in the SEC. Uh, and this time around, uh, it's the Aggies who score 17, the last 17 points in that game, uh, and, and win 31 to 20. And, the reason why I put that in context, that first-year team, when Jimbo took over, you knew that the teams before him would get out like gangbusters, and then they would limp home through November. And for that, that Aggie team in 2018, they come off a bye. They don't win at Mississippi State. Then they go to Auburn in that first weekend in November, and your thought is, oh, no, it's going to be the same. But Jimbo Fisher said it, it ain't going to be like it used to be. And I think last Saturday proved it ain't going to be like it used to be. Um, they learned how not to panic. They learned to make the, he always says 
win your space, and when you win those battles at the most crucial times, that's when you win the game. So think about this. They score before the half and take the lead. Auburn comes back and takes the lead 17-14, but it's a stop the Aggies made that forced Auburn to kick a field goal that makes it 20-14. to If Auburn scores a touchdown there, different game, right? So it's just yep. the one score. Aggies respond. They answer three and out. They answer, they're up 28-20, and then they're able to run out, for the most part, the clock and get the field goal that clinches it. And to, and to rush for 300 yards, 300-plus, to do it with three different running backs. Although I kind of got scolded last night uh, during Jimbo Fisher's uh, coaches show. I, I sometimes forget to put Kellen Mond in that running game. And, <laughs> and Jimbo re- reminded me, but you had, you had four guys accounting for 313 yards. And uh, to me – it's that impressive – you guys all know, winning on the road in the SEC, that, that is a, a task. That is an accomplishment. I don't know if it's convincing enough for everybody else in the country, but to me that was a convincing win. Do it at Auburn, a team that hadn't lost at home, and to do it by the way they did by scoring the last 17 points in that game. To me it tells me that this team is learning how to win this season. Yeah, and Andrew, the the key piece that I took uh, from that game, and I watched from start to finish, and uh, you know the first half was kind of back and forth, and Auburn looked like they were going to take control, and then and A and M answered, and once they answered, to me it looked like you saw a different team than the old Texas A and M, and when I say that, you could tell a difference when the way with the confidence that Mond was playing with, the running game. It's like everybody settled in, and you could say, Texas A&M's got this, and it just looked different. And I think that comes from a combination of what they have. Jimbo always talks about, you know, it's your preparation, the power of preparation and what they've done all week. But I think the other thing is the leadership. Throughout that game, it was Keldrick Carper, who's a senior safety, actually a grad safety. He was in for Damani Richardson, and – it was Keldrick Carper who was saying, we're going to make these adjustments, and now it's our, it's our job to get the ball back to the offense. And it was also an offense and an offensive line that was discouraged, frustrated, whatever word you want to use against LSU the week before, frustrated because they, they had some big plays against LSU, but it wasn't that consistency that, that they wanted. And this was an offensive line that knows – as we go, this A&M offense goes, and you could see them imposing their will. So every time Isaiah Spiller carried the ball, Devon A-Chain carried the ball, Anaya Smith, they were already two yards past the line of scrimmage because that line was winning its job. Ryan McCullum, who's the SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week this week, he said the part that was so frustrating last week is Jimbo Fisher kept calling on us. He kept trusting us and we didn't get it done consistently enough. They took that message to heart. The defense made the adjustments. The fourth quarter on the road, advantage A&M at, at Auburn. I think it was 36 total yards for Auburn against really a dynamic offense. Bo Nix hurt them during that game, but not at the crucial times. And I think making those crucial plays, and whether it's third down conversions, which they've done so well all season long, or open field tackles, um, the, the three and outs, the special teams doing their jobs. That's, that's where I think when you get into the, the, the learning how to win, but not worrying about, Hey, we just gave up a touchdown and, and, and looking at the scoreboard and worrying what Jimbo says, win your space, the scoreboard, you win, you win that space 
more times than the other team, the scoreboard's going to say what you want it to say. I think they've really adopted that this season. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you can see uh, the progression of the team. And uh, I tell you what, I only got to watch, unfortunately, like the first five minutes or so of this game before my wife was dragging me out of the house to do holiday stuff. Uh, in this, uh, <laughs> you know, you got to put on like a, a mask and a, and a helmet and all that stuff to go out and do anything today with COVID. But uh, we were out doing some holiday stuff, and I did not get to watch the game. But when I come back and saw the score, I was like, holy moly, that's exactly what I was wanting to see. And I couldn't wait to see the box score and see the storyline. So it's great progression there from the team. But let me ask you this. What are you expecting to happen now when they come back out with polling and all that kind of stuff? What do you think is going to happen with Texas A&M? I mean, they're, they're, they're five. They have been since the CFP first, first came out. And it's really interesting because I understand, I understand the, the progression of the CFP and what we do. To me, it always comes out too early because that first, although this year could be different, I don't know, but that first poll is almost never the last poll. There's so much that, that goes on in, be, in between. <laughs> right. I, you know, it's interesting because Jimbo calls it clutter or garbage or poison, you know. He always says you can only control what you can control. So what they can control is practicing during this, what turns out to be a bye week, what they call a work week, and go beat Tennessee. You can do all the ifs in the world. If they don't beat Tennessee, they don't control a darn thing. That's what they have. That's the only thing they can control is focus on Tennessee. All the other stuff, uh, Jimbo was saying this, uh, I think he was on Marty and McGee earlier this week. It's all opinion. It's, it's, it's the opinion. You can only, it's like a golfer. You can only post the score. And then is that going to be good enough at the end of the tournament? Can the Aggies get to eight and one? And for Jimbo Fisher and this team, that's what they understand. In a way, yes, they're five, and do they have something to prove? I'm sure they do. It's kind of neat to be the fifth team in the country and still have a little underdog in you in that trying to get into four. But all that other stuff is out of their hands. The only thing they can control is kick that ball off at 11 o'clock in Knoxville against Tennessee and then see if that's going to be good enough. But I don't think the message can be – it's not an all-or-nothing thing. I think we're going to see Texas A&M year after year now with Jimbo Fisher – the talent he has, the experience he has, the recruiting that he's done, stay in this position, stay in this conversation. That's what he's building, and I think that's what we're seeing come to fruition in this his third season. Yeah, and I think you're I think you're right on the money with that. You can kind of see how it's trended toward that direction. I I am I have been against the releasing of the CFP standings way too early. You're not playing the playoff games for right. multiple weeks after there's so many games left to play. You've got conference championships. Uh, I'm on the same horse on you with that one. I, I still do not understand that. But uh, I was just thinking about it. You know, you got Clemson and Notre Dame who basically have not played in their last regular season game so they can play the ACC championship. And uh, just throwing kind of a, a, a high hypothetical scenario, which obviously Texas A&M has to beat Tennessee for this to even be a conversation, but if Notre Dame falls to Clemson in the in the ACC championship, which I personally think is going to happen, if that happens, how does the how do you think that the playoff committee will view a one loss Notre Dame team that lost to that they beat Clemson without Trevor Lawrence at home? How much does that weigh in the playoff committee's hands? Do you think? Uh, uh, th- this is going to be interesting because we all know 
that Notre Dame carries with it eyeballs, mm-hmm. right? Right. As, as a university. So that plays into it. Yep. If, if I'm not mistaken, though, has any team that has lost a conference championship gone into the college football playoff? Mm, Alabama. I, I'm not, Alabama. I'm, I'm well, not, they didn't lose. No, they no, didn't no, no, lose. No, no. They, they didn't lose. They, they sat didn't out. Go to the conference yeah, they weren't there. They, they sat out. They didn't win their division. That's right. Yeah. They sat out. You're right. Where that's where A&M is right now, right? That's right. They're not going to – but – Notre Dame, what they and, and the cachet and the name there, it might depend on how they lose to Clemson. Yes. If it's a whitewash, then that becomes everybody talks about what's the last impression that that's now it, there's also conversely, do A and M fans root for Notre Dame because Clemson would then have two losses and they will not be in the playoff. That's I don't know. See, this this becomes careful what you wish for, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. But I think the one-loss Notre Dame just might carry them because they are Notre Dame for, for no other reason. But you're going to have Aggie saying, but we just played nine SEC games. We're not playing an ACC schedule. We didn't have a – the game that's taken away from them, so to speak, is because it's COVID-related. Not conference saying you don't have to play. Go, you know, collect two hundred dollars and and go directly. You know, you're going directly to your championship. This, this is. I don't think. I don't think we're getting enough credit for the SEC playing ten conference games in what Jimbo Fisher calls the best division in the best conference. I, you know what? But again, that's going to be somebody else's opinion to that. I think if Notre Dame loses a close game to Clemson, they might still stay in the top four. And, and, and because Notre Dame's going to lose to whatever rank Clemson is, if you listen to everybody targeting who's going to be there, notice how they say Texas A&M knocked off number six Florida, number six in the CFP. But in the third week of the season, A&M beat the number four team in the country. They didn't beat the team that was behind them in the rankings. They are now, but they beat the number four team in the country. I, I know it's a little thing. But I think it's a big thing, and that, and actually, maybe the week before Alabama, but those two weeks turned the entire, not just the season around, I think it turned the narrative around under Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, I, that's a very interesting perspective that you threw in there with Notre Dame that is it going to come down to the eyeballs and, and the media part of it to where if they lose in a close one to Clemson and with Trevor Lawrence playing and they're like, oh, well, you know, they are actually really, really right there. Um, I just don't know how it's going to go. Really interesting to see uh, what will happen. And, and in Florida in this situation, uh, what is Florida, what kind of chance do they have going in on the east side of the conference if they mm. go into the SEC championship game and they knock off um, Alabama. How does that play into the picture? I mean, what, uh, what yeah. that is a that, I guess. That do you think the, they can really beat Alabama? I personally do not think they can because Alabama has looked really, really good. But crazier things have happened. It's 2020. I mean, all you need is <laughs> Mac, no. all you need is Mac Jones to pop COVID before the SEC championship game, and then yeah, <laughs> you know what I I'm saying. Know. So I think that's crazy, though. It's possible. I don't what, know. What Trask, Trask can get out there and have a day. You don't know what happens. You know. What do you think, Andrew? If Florida wins, obviously they go. So what happens with Alabama? I think it's the same thing. If 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 and I I, I expect Alabama having watched both teams. I think Florida's really good though. But can their defense stop Alabama 
consistently. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with once or twice. Yeah, I don't think You have so. to do it consistently. Um, the, the key, and, and I'll put it to the A&M side, the key for Texas A&M was they were able to match Florida throughout that game, and then two things happened. A&M ran the ball, and, and, and then there were fewer possessions in the game. The two long drives that they had on the ground really shortened that game, and then the turnover at the key moment uh, for for Buddy Johnson to force that turnover and Demarvin Leal, and then Florida never got the ball back before that that field goal. I think Alabama is. I don't know if there's a team better that to make you pay for your mistakes. You you don't throw the ball accurately enough. It's not just an interception. It's not just a, a pass that's broken up. It's usually a pick six, and they do it so often you almost have to play perfect. Is Florida's defense enough to stop LSU? Florida's offense is very good. Um, I love Kyle Pitts as a, as a tight end, um, but it's, I don't know if it's anything Alabama has not seen having to play the entire SEC West. This is I, I know it's more than just a crossover game. I get it. The Florida is going to have to be practically perfect, and I think their defense is going to have to be better than it's been before. But if they win, obviously Florida goes in. It's going to be hard, especially if it's a close game, to keep Alabama out. You could have two ACC, two SEC knocking on that door. Then who knows what happens with Ohio State and, and Texas A&M. You know, you're, you're looking at those the top six. Again, you don't know what happens on a championship weekend and, and who's going to survive and, and be the final four standing. Yeah, that that is a that is very interesting. I I am I've seen Alabama play. I think I've watched them six complete games, and you you got to watch you got to see them in person when they played A and M. And from what I took away from Bama is you what you nailed it perfectly. What a lot of people I guess don't really understand if they're just a general fan, but Alabama takes advantage of like every marginal situations that. Pretty good teams, maybe 50% of the time, a pick six, they'll get it. It's like Alabama, if there's a fumble recovery, it's returned for six. Or they score on the next play or the next three plays, and they're really opportune in the way they take advantage of those situations. But Florida, to me, I just don't know defensively if they can hang with Alabama's offense because Alabama's going to be able to run up and down the field with Florida's yeah. offense without any trouble. Um, and, that, I, and, and that's what Jimbo Fisher says about Alabama, the best offensive line in the SEC. Yes. Uh, and, and that's taking notes. And he's got a really good one. Yes, he Jimbo does. He's a really good offensive <laughs> line. You know? Yeah. But he said, but he said that, that that offensive line is what – and that's not the only reason why Mac Jones – you know, the subtle things, watching that Alabama-LSU game after our game, to watch Mac Jones, it's a simple step to the right, a, a simple step up in the pocket, slides and buys himself more time. Um, and even losing receivers, he still has very good receivers because they're all prepared to play. Yep. That offensive line, look, Jimbo Fisher said after that game, and, and the Aggies put up 450 yards. And the reason why I say that, total yards, Nick Saban didn't bring his ones off the field. Haynes King, the backup quarterback at A&M, went against the ones of Alabama at the end of that game. But the Aggies put up 450 total yards, right? Jimbo thought they may have left 150, 200 yards out there, and they still lost by 28. Yeah, I know. So Kellen, Kellen makes an errant throw that's behind a receiver, a receiver, Daniel Wright takes it, and it's six. 
It's not an incompletion. Six. It's six. <laughs> right. Those types of things. You miss a field goal, Mac Jones, deep, very next possession. The points off turnovers, the, what do they call them? The knots, the non-offensive touchdowns. You don't kick to anybody at Alabama, right? You don't dare kick Heck on no. the special teams because they can hurt you. They make you be flawless in all three phases. It's actually something special to watch. And I don't think it's any mistake that Jimbo was an assistant of Nick Saban, although he's out of his shadow, that that's the same thing that Jimbo Fisher is building here at Texas A&M. You can bring in all these five stars and you can bring in these great players. They will take the field when they are ready. Jimbo will never allow them to take the field when they aren't ready, when they could possibly not just hurt the team, but hurt themselves. They've got to... They've got to prove it on that practice field to earn the snaps on Saturday. Nick Saban does that better than anyone. If there's a freshman playing for Alabama, you know he's special. But how many times have we seen guys, okay, he's a junior or a senior, they stay because they know they're going to be prepared and and they can play for Alabama. They earn that trust. That's what's happening here. You see those kind of similarities. But there's still that gap right now that that A&M is trying. And, And Florida has to understand that, Again, you don't play like you have to be perfect. They, Florida just has to do what they can do. Good running game, terrific receivers, dynamic offense. That defense is going to have to make sure that they don't give up those big plays because Alabama can just kill you with those. Yeah, and, and Andrew, you, you really you really um, magnified something that, that, that exemplifies really, really good coaching. Nick Saban is the best in the country of what you just said putting players where they need to be at the right time. The obvious one that comes to mind, putting in Tua Tagovailoa when he knew Hurts was struggling in the in the championship game. He pops him in there, and then, bam, they, he end up throws the game-winning touchdown as the clock expires, basically, you know, on a long, on a long play. It's decisions like that that Jimbo has made when he was at Florida State, because I got to watch it being a tech guy when he was at FSU, we, were, we saw him several times in the ACC championship. He is really good at doing the same thing, and he's doing that at Texas A&M with the players and making sure they're prepared when he puts them in. And that is the key to really, really good coaching that is super exciting for Texas A&M. And talking about you know players and, and coaching, you kind of teed me up for my next question. Signing day is right around the corner in the next what week and a half for early signing day and uh, how about how about how about next Wednesday in the yeah. middle of a, we we never have you never have signing day on a a, a game week but that's what COVID has done this year <laughs> I right know, I know that's what I'm saying like everybody this time you're in that lull of like who's going to which bowls you know and then you're like oh we signed some four stars you know but like now we're in a game week and we're like hey we got to sign some kids so how is Texas A&M looking how did they do in this super super weird uh, recruiting environment coming up for early signing day. What I what I find interesting being around Jimbo Fisher and, and learning from him, and he says your players are the ones who recruit the other players, and that's what's happening here. You have guys who want to be here at Texas A and M, and then they, they call it the Gigum Gang, right? So yeah. you have guys who are here, and they're saying, "Hey, my former teammate, you want to be a part of this," or someone in their district, or someone even in their state. You want to be a part of this. And when, as you know, a coach can say all they want. And once that player comes on campus and asks the players, hey, what's coach really like? What's practice really like? What's all this really like? The players recruit the other players. That's what Jimbo has going on here. He's got that excitement. Not just that. I, like I, I was, 
I was really thrilled about uh, to see what was going to happen with the, with no spring, but what would fall camp be like. And the competitiveness of these young guys, uh, they want to play. They want to earn that time. And you've seen it in a Jalen Jones as a cornerback. And, and, and you've seen it from, um, it's not always on the offensive end. We've seen it from, you know, a lot of times on the back end as an Antonio Johnson, who's a, who's a safety. And it doesn't have to be just the freshman, but his classes and he, the key that he's done is, and this is no shot at other programs. You have to take guys away from the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Georgias. You can't be out, re- out recruiting teams that don't, aren't what you think are on your level. You need the SEC caliber guys. Right. From a simple thing of guys who can put their hands in the dirt, Jimbo always says. That's your offense and your defensive line. Well, guess what? A, a freshman from Mississippi, McKinley Jackson, who's going to go to Alabama, is coming to Texas A&M. And he is playing. He's having that impact. Isaiah Rake. The other thing Jimbo's done, he prizes the state of Texas but he also wants this school to be national. That's why he can get a kid out of Florida, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, California. It's more than just the state of Texas. He's, he's always going to be uh, careful, you know, in this state, but he wants this to be national. You, you want to come play for Texas A&M, come do that. And that's, and that's what he's, that's what he's done with high caliber, but also you have a high IQ you have you have not just talent. You've got to have that character too, and and you have to want to compete. You have to want to be coached. You have to want to get better. You have to know what your top end is because this is a coaching staff that's going to coach you to the top end. Don't be content of where you are now. We can see what you can do. They're going to drive you to that. And you guys know once a player understands that this talent has been untapped by the coaches, well then that's when you have the Jimbo calls it love, trust, believe. You love one another, you trust one another, you believe in one another, but you also do all of that to yourself. And that's when you have a team. And I think that's what we're seeing from this team, from a combination of the guys here, the leadership of McKellen Mond and a Buddy Johnson, but also seeing the younger guys like DeMarvin Leal about to take those mantles, uh, a Bobby Brown to do that same thing. And then these incoming freshmen saying, I want to be a part of this. That's what Jimbo's recruiting, not just that talent, but the guys who are going to invest. And instead of a a leadership, I think there's an ownership that these players are taking in this program as well. And and I think that's the biggest thing that these coaches keep. When they say about talking about a team's culture, it's not about like turning it on like, hey, you know, we've got a cool environment. You know, this is, this is, look at, look at what we do. Look at how we dress. The culture he's talking about is what you just said. It's about having the players buy in and care as much as the coaches do. And it's a, it's a trickle down effect to where the players end up recruiting and not the coaches. And so it's because once you get there, I mean, a a player, I I played at college. Joe was fortunate enough to play at college. Once you get on campus, the only time you're with your coaches or at practice or in the meeting room, you are with the players the 90% of the other time. So if the players are the guys recruiting, that is what the biggest part and key success factor is in the landing four stars and the landing five stars not only getting them there but keeping them there people say all the time well how's nick saban got two three deep five stars on the chart (laughs) it's because they have bought 
in to the program, and they care for each other. And Jimbo's doing the same thing at Texas A&M by getting guys to buy in and not hope for the, the guy in front of him to get hurt. No, play with that guy and get better, and let's try and get some more guys to come and have success with us. That's the biggest That's key. Right. When you see the joy in a, at the South Carolina game of the starters rooting for the backups who are getting the time and the carries and the throws and, and all of that, when you see the genuine joy in that and then turn it around in Auburn and see those same players on the sidelines with the joy for those starters, when you see that joy, you know you have something special. I, I have seen teams, pros and college, talk culture your point, you have to live the yeah. culture. And you're right. It's the players that do it. And you don't want to, you don't want to do it for one year and flame out. Nope. This ha- so think about this. Nick Saban at Alabama, right? All of the history and tradition, but he has his own culture. There's history and tradition at Texas A&M. But Jimbo's been the only one who's won a national championship here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's bringing a culture, not Jimbo's culture, not Florida State, what we did there. Nope. It's still Texas A&M because he's embraced it, but there's the culture here. Now, in fairness, he's also embraced R.C. Slocum, Jackie yeah. Sherrill. Mm-hmm. You know, he's done that. He's, there's always been that nod to the past, but it's about A&M. Ultimately, like every good coach, when the team wins, it's the players. When the team loses, I didn't coach enough is what he would say. That's That's my fault. But to your point, Players define the culture. You can either say it, you can live it. The great programs live the cultures. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you guys have uh, definitely turned the page there at Texas A&M, or, or maybe we should say just added more print to the page. Maybe we should say it that way. But uh, how are you guys doing on the uh, injury front right now? Andrew, let me ask you that. Is everybody healthy and, and well going into uh, the uh, final game or, or two of the season? If, if there has been a, a kind of a bright light through all these weeks that they've missed because of COVID and contact tracing, right. more than COVID to tell you the truth. Uh, yeah, there is health. Cause you guys know once you get, once you get, and I don't care if you're playing an all SEC or not all SEC schedule, once you get to the end of November, everybody's got bumps and bruises. I think having the time off really allows Isaiah Spiller to get healthy, Jared Hawker, their right guard to be healthy. Um, they have been diligent uh, when it comes to the COVID and the testing, and this team has, has been really responsible, uh, if you will. The injuries, uh, they have, you guys know, you have to have the depth, especially this year. But, no, they have been, they have been relatively healthy all season, and, and Lord knows going into Tennessee, they, they will have the, you know, their full complement of players, which is that's really, really good for any team in a position that they are right now. Absolutely, and uh, I tell you what, that is just such. A, I love seeing Texas A and M up there in the top five, and and I hope to see them in the playoff picture. I really do. I want to see somebody else. I'm one of those guys that likes to see change. I like to see different teams playing. As long as Georgia's in there, you know, because I'm a Georgia guy. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up, by the way. Get it's out, Tua yeah. thing while I go, uh, Rob. I appreciate that. <laughs> He's always got to bring up the Tua thing. Bring back score. That sounds like a problem between you guys. I'm staying out. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, I love to. See, uh, love to see uh, Texas A and M up there, and I would love to see this. Now, guys. listen, if we're talking in ten years, and A and M is in the playoff for ten years, are you going to get disgruntled and be mad at me? Probably, yeah. Okay, I'll that's fair. <laughs> he said that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. You would love to be there. You'd love for me to be yeah. pissed off at yes. you. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, that's my goal now. I now have a goal. Yeah, there you go. Take all the hate in the world for that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> How can I get that guy from middle Georgia over there to be like sending me like hate tweets hate all the time? Tweets. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we oh, want to do. Well, Andrew Monaco, uh, the voice of the Texas A&M Aggies, uh, we appreciate you being on with us. And let me just ask you before we, we let you go, uh, what do you think about uh, – the uh, the big breaking news that happened there at six o'clock with the SEC and the uh, ESPN ABC uh, agreement and coming away from we, CBS. We move into that family, right? We move yep. into uh, the, the ABC ESPN family. There's a part of me that is going to miss being the game on CBS on Saturdays. I'm going to miss uh, if if there was anyone who took the mantle from Keith Jackson, it was Vern Lundquist. And I thought it was brilliant by CBS because that that game had so much production value. Uh, you always asked, hey, are we the CBS game? I'm going to miss a part of that, and I think there's a part of me. I hope that we're not one of many, and that's what happens in that ESPN family, if you right. will. But we also see the dollars that are attached to it, right? And we, and we right. see the importance of – and I think the SEC network itself has been a brilliant move. Um, by ESPN and by the conference, um, but to be with the family and obviously all that will go with that. There's going to be so much more, but there will be a part of me because when you heard that CBS music, you knew it was an SEC game, you, you know, you knew, but that's also, you know, I, I'm a child of television as well. So <laughs> yep. but those voices become so important, but I think it is the next step. Uh, for the, you know, not just the, the evolution, but where the SEC is, the importance it is to television networks, and then what these, uh, schools, uh, and this conference in general, um, how powerful it is, and, and, and that people really want, they want their eyeballs yep. on, on this conference and, and to be able to get it. I hope ABC, you know, continues that tradition of having this game stand out a little bit. Like I said, it's an, but, you know, as you guys know, any, any matchup, that you get in the SEC is usually one of the best games on the weekend. I think they're going to be really good caretakers of it. And I think CBS is going to regret almost – I've said this. I don't know if you guys agree. This might be like them losing the NFC back in the 90s where they didn't value yeah, the yeah, NFL. No, I they agree. were able to jump back. They were able to jump back. But I think that hurt them and it allowed Fox to rise. I don't know. Not that they didn't have a good bid, but they probably should have fought more for can we have – the very last bid, not <laughs> right. the, not the first one. But uh, again, it's it's a step forward uh, back in the you know entirely in the uh, ESPN ABC family. But I'm not going to lie to you if I don't tell you I'm gonna I'm gonna miss it a little bit because then every time you hear that you hear that music, you're thinking good old Uncle Vern, and you know you're in for a great SEC SEC game. Well, that's true. I mean, and I grew up. I'm a I'm a television guy. My real job is in television now. You know, this is not my. This is our fun time. But uh, I've worked for CBS. I've worked for Fox. I've worked for, uh, you know, like CNN Sports, and and now I work for a, a cable provider uh, in the area. And I I grew up in it and uh, editing and doing the the video production and part of it. So I love it. But uh, this to me was you you mentioned it could hurt CBS. I think this is this is a very big hurt to CBS moving forward. 
no doubt about it. So I'm I think proud it's a step now. Down, no matter what conference, yeah. it's, it's a step mm-hmm. down. They're going to be really smart moving forward. With, yes. Yeah. Depending on what they're going to do, I think. Yeah. yeah no so uh, I'm excited in my cable world where I'm at because we have ESPN, of course, <laughs> obviously there. Uh, but uh, uh, CBS, uh, I think, took a big step backwards. We'll see what they do. But uh, either way, we are so uh, so happy to have you on with us, Andrew. Uh, the number five Texas A&M, the voice of the Aggies here on with us. And thank you so much for giving us time. We really appreciate you, my friend. Absolutely enjoyed myself. All right. Well, we'll talk to you again, I'm sure. Next time, hopefully, it'll be in the college playoffs. How about that? That would be awesome. <laughs> and I will angry tweet at you, but not not until like Even year three. Even better. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good one, Andrew. Andrew Thank Monica. You, Andrew. Thank you. The Texas A&M voice of the Aggies there, Rob. I can't wait to angry tweet at him in like three years. That'd be great. I love it. I hope you get to because I would I love to see them in the playoffs. Yeah, it'd be great. We'll be right back after a break here on your Robin and Joe show. Stick around. This is Danny Reed, the radio voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles on the Georgia Southern Sports Network. And you're listening to the top source for local sports from middle Georgia to the coastal empire, the Rob, Ben, and Joe Show. Middle Georgia's number one choice for community and collegiate sports. The Rob, Ben, and Joe Show will be right back. You're listening to the Rob, Ben, and Joe Show. Middle Georgia's number one choice for community and collegiate sports. The Rob, Ben, and Joe Show will be right back. Eyeballs Marketing and Signs. That's Eyeballs with a Z. I-B-A-L-Z is all about everything you need for printing services, marketing services, apparel services, signage, banners, wraps for your vehicles, design services, or a whole lot more. Whatever you need in your business to get your message out there, you can count on Eyeballs. I-B-A-L-Z dot com. Eyeballs Marketing and Sign in Warner Robins. Acota EMC has been providing their members in Baldwin, Bibb, Bleckley, Dodge, Lawrence, Twiggs, and Wilkinson counties with reliable electric services for 81 years. We pride ourselves on serving the needs and wants of our community each and every day. Because after all, these are our communities, friends and families. That's 3445 US 80, Dudley, Georgia. Well, you're not just a customer, you're a part of the family. Acona EMC, lighting seven counties one light at a time. Middle Georgia's number one choice for community and collegiate sports. The Rob, Ben, and Joe Show will be right back. Hi, I'm Jeff Cannon, President of Citizens Bank of Orange County. When we began looking for a location for our second Dublin banking office, the historic Henry Building looked like the perfect spot because Dublin and Lawrence County is our focus and making banking easier and more convenient for our customers is our goal. Citizens Bank of Lawrence County, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender. A local full-service community bank offering quality banking services. Citizens Bank of Lawrence County, now open in downtown Dublin. 
From the farmer's field that produces your food to the football field where your home team plays, Georgia Farm Bureau is committed to helping Georgia communities thrive. Georgia Farm Bureau provides peace of mind to families through home, auto, and life insurance with affordable coverage and exceptional service. With more than 150 offices around Georgia, Georgia Farm Bureau is always the home team. Call your local Lawrence County Georgia Farm Bureau agent, Mr. Phil Phillips. Call 478-277-0508. This is John Nelson of GPB Sports and the Soccer Down Here Network. You're listening to Middle Georgia's number one team for community and collegiate sports from Atlanta to Savannah and all points in between. It's the Rob, Ben, and Joe Show. Enjoy, everybody. Middle Georgia's number one choice for community and collegiate sports. The Rob, Ben, and Joe Show will be right back. All right, back here on your Rob, Ben, and Joe show, hanging out and uh, having a great time there with Andrew Monaco. What a great time it was to talk to him tonight, Rob. Always fun. His his yeah. perspective's so good. He's got such a great attitude, and and uh, he he encompasses and tells you a lot about how things have changed internally at Texas A and M, and how everything's. Um, changing there and Jimbo's changing and what we talked yeah. about with him about the Nick Saban comparisons to Jimbo yeah and and I think the biggest thing is it's all about player-led stuff these coaches and it's the same thing that I've been able to see at Georgia Tech with Jeff Collins is he's trying to get the same buy-in from players because Saban figured it out before everybody else did in the mid-2000s when he got to Alabama the way you're going to build these things for longevity and keep the these guys in the stable where your twos are as good as your ones, your players have to buy in and believe in what you're doing, and it's got to be a good product. And when you get that buy-in and they see the results, then the players start recruiting them, and then it's all she wrote on that. The horse is riding down the track. Well, you make a good point there, and you think about what Texas A&M is doing especially, and, uh, you know, they've – They've had Mond. Let's talk about him for just a second there. They've had Mond at quarterback. It seems like for ever. ever. Yes. I mean, it seems like he's just been there. Ever since Manziel, Mond's yeah. been there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, as weird as that is, uh, I can't name anybody else for Texas A&M that's, you know, been on the field for them the entire time. No, you, Not a you, one. He, he, is a so. sta- he, is the sta- he is the staple guy that you've seen for the last, basically, four years. Um, yeah. Like I was saying, since Manziel left. Yeah. Um, but, I mean – Mon's done good. He he's been inconsistent at times, but if he plays like he did against Auburn, they're very difficult to beat. But the key with Texas A&M is they've got to be able to run the ball. If they can run the ball, Mon has good games. If yeah. they struggle running the ball, Mon struggles. Like yeah. his stats against LSU were he was like ten for thirty five or something, and it's yeah. because LSU it was they got really really dominated up front in that game. They're able to pull it out. But their running game was very weak, and that hurt Mond. So, and it's like he said with Jimbo in his in his interview, Mond's stats. He rushed for sixty yards this past weekend. He threw for like one ninety something and two touchdowns. He only had five incompletions. Played a great game because he got involved in the run game. If he's not involved in the run game because they're not being able to run the ball, makes his style of play a lot different yeah it certainly does certainly does and you know we (laughs) we could talk about uh, Mond and we could talk about other players that have been around but uh, one player that we want to talk about specifically that has been in the news a lot here lately is Sarah Fuller 
And uh, that is a big deal for people that watch college football or people that have little girls or just uh, athletes in general because she became the first female to play uh, for Vanderbilt, and she played a couple of weeks ago now uh, for Vanderbilt in a game. And all she did was kick off in the second half for Vandy because they didn't have an opportunity to get in and score uh, to let her on the field in that regard. But she got on the field, and that's the first time that you've had a female player play in a Power 5 football game, the third female to play in a football game in history. So that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of one of those things, like, when you see it, you're like, what did I just read? Yeah, it was kind of, you know, kind of weird to see, but yeah, it was good to see But, I mean, it's, it's real. you know, kudos to her for having <laughs> the, the guts to go out there yeah. and even try that. Because, right. I mean, mm-hmm. football is an extremely intimidating game um, for people that are especially have not been around it for a long time or if you're new to it, and especially if you're a female. It right. doesn't get much more masculine and contact-related and aggressive yeah. than football. I mean, outside of lacrosse and rugby, I don't know that there's any well, you know more aggressive sports out there. And than, you know she's a soccer player. I mean, she's the goalie yeah. for uh, Vanderbilt University, and uh, she was the starting girl, uh, goalie, just won an SEC championship, and just got back into town from winning an SEC championship when they had this conversation with their coach about, you know, hey, can she come over because of covid uh, they did not have a kicker on their roster, did Vanderbilt. So they had uh, Sarah saying, you know, hey, come on over and kick a football. And uh, she did, and she did really well. And uh, now she's, you know, on the team. And she was supposed to have been kicking for uh, Vanderbilt against Georgia this past weekend. But, again, that game was postponed due to the COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so we could have seen her this past weekend in Athens, and that would have been awesome. I, I think it's, uh, it's really neat, and uh, I just – I question Vanderbilt's athletes also at the same time that they didn't have another player. Yeah, another kicker. <laughs> I mean, Joe, you know yeah. as well as I do, everybody that you play with in college played two or three different positions in high school. Like, right. was there really not one guy that was healthy that, yeah. that, that kicked that, I mean, but that, Shows something for her to be able to come out there and haven't done it, and she's better than anybody else yeah. they had on the roster. And that was what was kind of funny about it, because they were like, because of COVID and people not being on campus, they couldn't really put out an all call and have <laughs> you know players just or people yeah. just come in. And so they had Sarah, and uh, she was like, "Yeah, I'll do this. I can get it done." Yeah. And uh, that's what she did. So I was, you know, kudos to her for getting it done. So I'll say it takes a lot out of a, mm-hmm. a, a female to go out there and, and attempt to go around that type of sport with that contact and everything. Yeah. It's, it's definitely hats off to her. But i tell you the thing that was disappointing to me, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it is frustrating to me, so I want to talk about it. You know, with her, uh, there were social media people out there, you know, commenting on all the things that you would imagine you don't want to hear commented on with a female on a football field. And, uh, you know, everything from, you know, ooh, I can't wait to tackle her, you know, or something like that, down to things that were much worse than that. So uh, as great of a moment as it was to see that uh, I watched very intently as to what happened after she kicked the ball. Yep. You know. And you you knew – I mean, it's it's just really it's really sad though because people are able to hide behind their phones and right. they can throw stones at anybody at any point in time, whether it be a political figure, a sports figure, it don't right. matter who you are. I mean, right. they're it, these people are like sitting in the shadows, right. and it's like they see this and they you and then they know as soon as it happens, you're about to see so much absurdity, 
thrown that her way and everything else. And these people are just bullies. They're, yeah. They they in social media gives them that opportunity to do that, and it was sickening. I saw some of the stuff. Right. It was like you know you know knock her out. You know go take her out. Look, what makes her any different? Just listen to me for a second. Yeah. Okay, she's a female, but you're sitting there. Go break her leg. Go, you know, go knock her out. What makes her any different than the freshman kicker that rolls out there to buck sixty five? You, you can get on there and you're going to say the same thing about him. Like, yeah. Hey, like go break his leg or break right. his neck. What makes him any different than her? Right. I mean, I she. Right. The the thing is, is these people are ridiculous. She knows what she signed up for to get into a football game. And for them to get on there and throw comments that they have, they're just bullies. They're just looking for someone to throw punches at. And quite frankly to me, Joe, they're envious of her having the the, the guts That's right. and the drive to go out there and actually try that. That's really what it is because they right. want to make her look less brave or less less. Um, significant, significant than right. it is, and that's that's really what those people are after. And they're just they're just looking to, for a punching bag. That's all it is. Uh, it just absolutely one of those things that I just, you know, as much as I was excited, and I was. I mean, I stayed in front of the television, got my son because he plays soccer. He's not a football guy, but he is a goalie uh, on a soccer team, and got him. And there's like, hey, watch this, man. This is you know, this is history that you're going to watch right here. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. And uh, you know, we were sitting there watching it, and it's so proud. I was proud. I don't have any girls. I have two little boys, but my brother yeah. has two little girls. Yeah. And uh, you know, they like going out and throwing the ball around and doing everything else. So yeah. it's a big moment to watch that. But I watched intently as to what happened after she kicked the ball, like I said a second ago, to see what was going to happen on the field. And then I wanted to see what happened. I immediately was posting the video of her kicking on social media, Twitter. And, again, you can follow us at RBJ Show on Instagram and Twitter and uh, at RBJ Podcast on Facebook. But uh, I wanted to share that story. And then I got to thinking about what else would happen. And sure enough, you know, there came all of the the – the pitiful things that you see about social media. Oh yeah, and you you, you knew it was coming. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's any anything like that. And it's like I said, yeah. they just want to they want to take away from the significance of of something that big of a deal. You're making history. She's made a big yeah. you know a big statement, broke a barrier for something like that to where, if somebody you know if they want to kick or play, if they're if they're good enough, why can't they play? That's right. Yeah, I mean, if, if they are. I mean, it is what it is. That's right. So, uh, with just a, a few minutes ago, you got Tech playing tonight. Isn't that right, Rob? Uh, yeah, tech? we got Tech playing Pittsburgh tonight. It's it's live right now, and uh, <laughs> Tech is <laughs> Tech is extremely depleted. And when I say extremely depleted, they're playing all freshmen except yep. for, I think, one defensive tackle is a senior. Wow. Um, because of COVID, other injury-related, they've had – four or five guys opt out, which is obviously, Joe, if you've been paying anything, a really popular thing to do right now with COVID. People right, have just opt out since week yeah. one. You know, they yeah. feel a little mentally weak, and they're like, oh, well, I'll, <laughs> I'm just opting out. Yeah. And I don't understand the opt out because everybody gets a bogey year. You, this Everybody could come back. That's I right. Mean, the, the way the How, thing is written, like, you know, you could come back. You could still play. So Tech's been extremely depleted. Pittsburgh, I don't know – They've had some COVID issues, too, because this game was postponed from a couple weeks ago. That's right. It's playing on a Thursday night. You can't even watch it if you're around here. If you don't have, I guess it's on Charter or if you got to be in Atlanta. It's yeah, it's on regional. a Fox Sports South Regional. Yeah, network. so, 
I don't know how you can see it, but it's yeah. on that for our listeners is because this game was unscheduled. Well, they'll just have to listen to Andy Demetra. That's right. To, and that's what I'm going to do. That's what yeah. I did a few weeks ago. When do, These games that are being rescheduled, the reason why they're not on TV or you may not can get them is because they were not scheduled. Right. On the a network. A year ago, the net, yeah, on the network. That's right. the problem. On the network that they are probably airing on at this point, <laughs> which is, um, you know, it's um, third-tier or second-tier network. It's just that's, where it's going. That's, so, and, and that's just the way it is. Yep. So uh, before we get out of here, we've got a couple of uh, really good shows lined up for the next couple of weeks here. You can see we've got uh, Dave Baker of the SEC Network. Dave Buzz Baker. You probably know him if you watch a lot of SEC basketball, but he is also really tied to the University of Kentucky football and We'll talk about uh, everything that's going on with SEC football with Kentucky and, of course, the West Lawrence connection there to Kentucky with uh, Derek. Derek Jackson. Jackson. saw Derek this week, too. He was in town really? to come by the store. Yep. Well, uh, he will be he's a good. He is a good-looking football good looking player. Good-looking guy. Let me tell you, Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky's uh, weight program, he looked good in high school. Coach McClain did a great job, but you yep. can tell his further development at Kentucky, he's he's doing a great job. And then uh, we'll have from uh, Baton Rouge, ESPN 104.5 FM, uh, the host of After Further Review, Matt Moscano, will be on with us uh, coming up as well. And uh, Matt is a ton of fun. If you don't know Matt from ESPN Radio and Baton Rouge, he follows the Saints closely. Uh, he uh, is on there with uh, Bobby Bear on the ESPN Network of uh, radio stations, and he also does a lot with, uh, of course, LSU there in Baton Rouge. So we will have uh, Matt Mascana on with us, and we'll also have there Dave Baker from the SEC Network here on uh, the Rob, Ben, and Joe show, which that's pretty cool for us too, I guess, right? Heck yeah, man. It's good I'm, stuff. I'm excited. We get to talk to so many really cool uh, people from all over the country. Um, yeah. And it's really neat to get everybody's different perspectives from different parts of the country. Yep. Really great to talk to these people. So, super excited. You need to tune in for the next couple of weeks. You'll uh, you'll definitely enjoy it. You'll love it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I guess with that, man, I'll let you go try to find some Andy Demetra on the radio. My dogs are going to play somebody. Mizzou, I think, maybe coming up. I don't know. If somebody does a test positive, yes. we'll <laughs> we might be able to talk about that next week, too. I don't know. We'll see. But either way, for Rob East over there, uh, Joe Powers here, and uh, we certainly do appreciate you being on. And again, uh, Andrew uh, Monaco was on the uh, phone with us tonight. We appreciate him as well being right here on the Rob Ben and Joe Show. Until next week, thanks, and we'll see you again. Stick around uh, for, uh, I don't know, Georgia Tech football. Andy Demetra coming up next. Good night. show download the show today on your spotify playlist or apple music